hope you get a chance this afternoon to enjoy this beautiful fall weather. Today is the day to get out to the park, take a walk, enjoy the sunshine and the changing leaves and just celebrate uh, this great fall day. But we've got some time together here indoors this morning as we open God's word. And I'd invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 11 through 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. I um, sometimes have to take my car, one of my cars in to get fixed to, like, say, get the muffler replaced. And if you ever do that, you, you drive into the mechanic sounding really loud. The whole neighborhood can hear you and it's, you know, something's really wrong. And then when you drive away, it's quiet, smooth again. And you think, boy, that was money well spent. They really fixed something. And then sometimes you just go to get the oil changed. And it doesn't seem one bit different from the way you pulled in and the way you pulled out. And I was just sort of thinking about that as I thought about sermons. Because sometimes it might just be the one that fixes the broken muffler. And you realize, wow, that, that, was, that was great. That made a difference. And other times it's just an oil change. But you know, without the oil change, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? And I think this series on 1 Timothy sometimes feels like a, an oil change. <laughs> and maybe it's just like, well, this, this is nuts and bolts stuff. But it's still important. And I hope we see that. But um, today we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. So let me read that for you now. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for, so, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. God, I thank you for your word that speaks life to us, and I pray that um, you would uh, teach me what I need to know so that I can help teach others and that together we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Back when I was in college, I remember uh, one of my professors who taught preaching told a story, and I think this story was about himself. I can't remember for sure. It's been a long time now. But he said he remembered being a young preacher, just starting out in ministry, and he was really nervous giving sermons, and he would uh, uh, wonder how things went and appreciated any encouragement he could get. And he, he remembered one Sunday as a young preacher uh, leaving the church that morning, and, and an older gentleman came up to him and said, son... That was a nice message. Well done today. 
He said he felt really good about that. But he wanted to be modest. You know, he didn't want to get puffed up. And so he responded to this gentleman. He wasn't quite sure what to say. He just said, you know what? It was all from God. It's all from God. And the old man looked at him and said, son, it wasn't that good. <laughs> and it's a great story. And it's always stuck with me because it reminds me that what we do in preaching is an impossible task. It's impossible. Um, because it's supposed to be from God, yet it's from us as preachers, and we've got to explain it and teach it. And it's, it's difficult. There's another story I like from, I think this was from Steve Brown. And uh, he, it, it was from the days of King James I in England. And King James was at church one Sunday and he listening to this preacher preach his sermon and uh, it was going on and on and the preacher was kind of rambling and there was no real connection to the ideas that he was presenting. And so finally, being the king, I guess he felt like he could speak up and he just shouted to the preacher. He said, either quit your rambling or get down out of that pulpit. To which the preacher responded, I will not do either. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. He said, quit your rambling or get down out of that pulpit. To which the preacher responded, I won't do either. All right, never mind. <laughs> you know, as preachers, we can feel like we've got all this authority. We can just say it because we've got the authority. But no, I had another teacher tell me once, you might feel like you're putting a lot of time into preparing a sermon. But think about all the time everybody's putting into listening to it. If there's 100 people there and they spend a half hour, that's 50 hours invested in listening to that message. Make it good. Um, but I've got to believe that there's about 5% of preachers in the world who can make an hour feel like 20 minutes. And then the rest of us usually make 20 minutes feel like an hour. <laughs> but now I've got enough jokes to be like Don Graham here. So <laughs> I got to stop. But thinking about this passage, I mean, it's about preaching. And I was tempted to skip it because I thought, well, this is for me, but not for you. Why do you have to listen to this? Um, and yet, uh, when you preach through a book of the Bible, you don't skip stuff, even when it's hard. And I don't skip it just because I know it might hit you between the eyes, so I shouldn't skip it just because it hits me between the eyes. Uh, but there is value for us here in all of this. And it, it does tie in well with what James challenges us with, where he says, you know, not many of you should presume to be teachers, for you know that you who teach will be judged more strictly or with greater strictness. And, and so there's this pressure, this struggle that you feel when you, when you come to this role of, of preaching. And, and, and Paul addresses this here with, with Timothy. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to first explain what preaching is. Because I think it's helpful for us to know that, to be reminded of, of what it is that happens each week when Usually me or someone else gets up here and, and preaches. What makes preaching legitimate? That's the second thing we're going to look at here. What, what makes it legitimate? Or even, dare I say, what gives it authority? 
And then finally, why is preaching important? Is it important? And if so, why? So what is preaching? What makes it legitimate? And why is it important? I remember one time um, when I lived in Chicago, I visited a Lutheran church. I just wanted to see what different churches were like, different traditions. And I remember going into this old Lutheran church building and uh, noticing right away as the worship service began that there was a choir and there was a, an organ and an organist and they were all in the balcony. So they were up behind everybody and nobody could see them. You heard the music, but nobody saw where it came from. And I often think about that because I think, boy, I wish I could preach that way. I just wish I could talk and tell you the message, but you didn't have to look at me for 30 minutes. But you know, that's, that's what comes with preaching. And, and there's a sense in which the message should be from God, but it's conveyed through the personality of the preacher. It's, it's, it's the way God makes this happen. And so it's humbling and it's challenging and um, pray for me and be patient with me. Um, but first, what is preaching? What is it? I mean, is it a TED talk? Is that what we would kind of equate it to? Or is it maybe a, uh, uh, an academic lecture on a piece of classic literature, the Bible? Is it a, a beat down for sin? You know, get after you for all the things you're doing wrong. Or is it inspiration to kind of put wind in your sails to, to help you get through the next day or the next week? What is preaching? Verse 13 says, uh, look, there, look there with me. Paul says to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And that word exhort there is sometimes translated preach or preaching. So exhortation is to, to, uh, to challenge, to convey a message with urgency, um, to not just simply teach. Teaching is good. Teaching is important, but it's to exhort as well, to call to action, to call to response. Then look at verse 11. This adds to what preaching is. He says to him, command and teach these things. Whew. Command. That word actually has military overtones, like a commander of an army, giving orders to the soldiers. There's this commandment that comes with preaching. And, 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 and of course, so that, at that point, the teaching part seems easy. But to give commands? But we do preach things like the Ten Commandments, don't we? We should. These commandments are from God. We need to hear them. We need to re receive them. We need to respond to them. Or the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. These are commandments. They're not suggestions. So, so the preacher needs to make that clear, to command and to teach the things of God. But you know, the most important thing about preaching without which all is lost. To make God-centered preaching true and valid is that it must proclaim Jesus Christ. You know, whether I'm preaching out of the Old Testament 
or the new, whether it's the Proverbs or uh, Habakkuk or uh, any other book of the Bible, it's got to connect to Jesus or it's nothing. A sermon, no matter how eloquent, no matter how well prepared, no matter how passionate, without Jesus is dead on arrival. And yet I've also found that I could be stumbling along, feeling like I'm, I'm missing at every point, and yet turn to Jesus. And it's like suddenly something shifts. Our, 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 our ears open, and we realize there's some power here. There's some truth. Without Jesus, it's just legalism. Without Jesus and the grace of the gospel, without the message of the cross and his resurrection, it's just uh, 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 anything else but put Jesus in it and the message of what he has done. And it doesn't mean we've got to present the sinner's prayer and have an altar call every week, but it means that we direct it to the truth of the gospel, that Jesus transforms everything. And it all of a sudden makes sense. I, I like the story E.V. Hill tells about a church uh, where there was a, a woman who always sat in the front row and she was so old, nobody knew how old she was. They just called her 1800. And uh, her role in that church was each Sunday as, a, as the sermon started, she'd say, get him up, get him up. And if the preacher went too long without mentioning Jesus, she'd say, get him up. The challenge was there. And isn't that true? We've got to get Jesus up. And the more Jesus gets up, the more we respond and receive the truth that God has for us. So what is preaching? Preaching is getting Jesus up, bringing his life into the dryness of our lives, bringing the gospel reality that he died for us and that he rose again. That changes everything. That's what allows us to, to, to hear the command of God. That's what allows us to respond to the command of God and to be changed and to obey and to find new life in him. That's what preaching is. So what makes preaching legitimate? Or to even, dare I say, have authority? Uh, I think preaching is kind of a tough sell especially these days. I was reading a book recently about Jonathan Edwards and his life in early you know, colonial America. And um, it was pointing out the fact that in the early days of America, there were three great professions. If you were going to, to be somebody important in the community, you would be one of three things. You would be either uh, an attorney, you would go into law, you'd be a doctor, you'd go into medicine, or you'd be a member of the clergy, you'd go into the ministry. And you, you kind of got to remember, Harvard and Yale were founded as seminaries. The first cl graduating classes were all ministers. It tells you something about the status of, of, of preaching in that day. And, and today, you know, we still have uh, high regard, I think, for, for the profession of law and the profession of, of medicine. But, but preaching has changed and, and the ministry has changed in terms of public uh, concept of, of, of what it means. Um, but, you know, the truth of the matter is legitimacy in the pulpit never came from an Ivy League education. And so it's important that we do learn that lesson and know that lesson. And it certainly wasn't what gave legitimacy in Timothy's day. Uh, but notice what Paul had to tell Timothy there in verse 12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. 
Let no one despise you for your youth. I memorized that in the NIV. It says, no, let no one look down on you because you are young. And um, so in that day, age equaled authority. And you had to be uh, at least four or five decades into life before people would really take you seriously. And, and, and I think that's probably changed to some degree today. Um, we, don't, we, we sometimes give the precedence to youth and the, the youthful ideas. What, what's the cutting edge, the, the, the latest uh, concepts? But, but so, so looking down on somebody because they're young, that's not necessarily an issue for us now. But if I were to update verse 12, maybe it should say something like, let no one despise you for being uncool. Or maybe let no one look down on you because you're just not as popular as the next guy. We live in an age where some preachers preach to tens of thousands. Well, others, most, the vast majority, preach to a hundred or less. And so it's a strange place we find ourselves in as preachers. Um, and, and, and sort of the, the criteria we use to judge. And, and, and now everybody's watching online and people are watching sermons online. And that's great. That's cool. And I sometimes wonder if you're going to go ahead and watch a sermon online, why would you watch me? I mean, why don't you watch one of these guys who that's their only job? They spend their entire week preparing a sermon. They have, they have focus groups that help them develop topics. They have psychologists on staff who advise them on how to word this point in just the right way. I mean, you can create the most compelling, uh, uh, insightful message now with just enough people and enough effort and enough strategy and technique and method and technology, and it's all there. But that's not what preaching is, is it? There's something else that makes preaching, preaching. And, and, and the real test has been the same from ancient times as it is still today. And that is in the rest of verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believer an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Here is the real test. And it's a test of authenticity, isn't it? The test of legitimacy is the test of authenticity. Is the person real? Is the preacher living it by example? Verses 15 and 16 lay this out even further. Paul says there, verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Literally meaning there, uh, uh, um, uh, be in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. The emphasis clearly is uh, you've got to live by example what you're teaching. And that the, legitimate, the legitimacy, the, the authenticity, the authority is got to be rooted in the validity of the example, the truthfulness of how it's lived. Now, that's, that's a challenge. It's got to be real. There, there was a time, I think, and maybe there's still a time in certain places where preaching um, has a certain uh, sound or tone. There's that preachy voice. You know what I'm talking about? The voice of the preacher. And sometimes we associate that with preaching. And some people say they're just turned off by that. They want something a little more conversational. They want to feel like you're just sitting across the table. 
and having a conversation and learning. And the question I ask myself oftentimes is, I want to make sure I'm real when I'm preaching. I want to make sure you know the real me, hear the real me. But what is that when you're talking to a, a group of 150 people? What does it really mean to talk to somebody like that? Maybe in the old days, and it just dawned on me this week, they didn't have microphones. So to talk to 150 people, I'd have to project. I'd have to shout. It couldn't be conversational. And, and, and so there was that voice that had to be associated with preaching. Because that was the real way you had to communicate. But now, it's, it's different. Now I can, I can talk in a different voice. But is that real? When you're talking to a crowd? I don't know. Maybe I'm losing you. Maybe I'm getting really philosophical here. But whole, whole communication theory and trying to be real, it's a challenge, especially in our media age. We spend so much time watching people act nowadays. Think about the hours we spend daily in many people's lives watching people act on TV and the movies and in, 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 in videos that you watch. We're immersed in, in acting and so there's this pressure, I think, as a, a, a preacher stands there for a half hour communicating to, to want to act in some way that maybe isn't real. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting off track. The, the authority is in the legitimacy is in the example. It's in the life. And so the, the problem with, what would I say, mediated pastors, pastors that you only see on TV, you have no idea of the example. You don't see them in real life. They could be great, wonderful, awesome people. They could be scumbags who are really good actors. You just don't know. Technology has distanced you from that. So, so we've got to keep it real. I think we've got to keep it personal. We've got to keep it close. You've got to know who I am, and I need to be who I say I am in preaching. I think that's where legitimacy needs to come. And then there needs to be that accountability. So as leaders in the church, hold me accountable to these things. Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Another element of the authenticity or the legitimacy here is described in verse 14. He says, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And it's mentioned here just briefly, but the council of elders laid their hands on Timothy. And there was a prophecy involved in which Timothy was ordained to this task of preaching God's word. This is also brought up again in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Paul says there, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Notice both of those passages mention two things. Number one, there is a gift from God. And number two, it comes through laying on of hands of the elders. This gift is not merely a natural talent or ability, but it's something supernaturally given. 
And it comes through this, uh, this what we've come to call ordination, this, this recognition of leaders who, who lay their hands on and are recognized by the power of God that this person is called to this task. Acts chapter 13 presents a very similar example. The church of Antioch, when, when Paul and Barnabas were, were called out and commissioned to be missionaries, they laid their hands on them, they fasted, they prayed, and they sent them forth in service. There is a power that comes. There is a, a legitimacy that comes through this work of God in what we call ordination. Now, today, again, that's been rather muddied up. Um, I was noticing recently online, if you want to uh, officiate a wedding, all you need to do is go online and there's a website that you can fill out a form, answer three questions, and this organization that sets up the website is considered a religious organization and they'll issue a certificate to license you to do weddings. And you print it off on your computer and you're ready to go. Um, anybody can get ordained these days in, in whatever way they want. But there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to recognize the authority that God has placed upon those who preach and teach. And then finally, there's this sort of, again, this reminder of the, uh, of the accountability that comes with this. Verse 15. Look at verse 15. I think I pointed this out earlier, but I'll point it out again. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And as I read that, I just thought, wow, everybody's watching. Talk about living in the fishbowl. Everybody's watching. And that is, in some sense, true. But that's part of the call. That's part of the responsibility here. So we've looked at what preaching is. We've talked about what gives it legitimacy. And now let's ask ourselves, why is it important? Why is preaching important? I think that comes out at the end there of verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on, your, on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why is it important? Salvation is in the balance. Yours and mine. It says you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's a story about a, an old preacher named Alexander White, and he spent many years in the pulpit and um, eventually reached an age where he could no longer get up into the pulpit. He could no longer preach. But it's said that each week he continued to write a sermon, even though he never preached it to anybody but himself. And it was because of this verse he was preaching to save himself. The reality is, of course, not that the preacher saves anybody, but it's Jesus as we lift him up. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is the great privilege 
of preaching, to be able to proclaim that truth, to proclaim that hope, to, to, to impart some of that, that life each week. This ought to be what stirs us, the sense that our lives are in the balance, in the truth that Jesus Christ lives and reigns eternal. Is this what stirs us to work on our relationships instead of giving up? Is this what challenges us to resist temptation instead of just giving in? Is this what helps us to beat the pain or the sorrow or the grief or the sense of rejection or the loneliness? Because we are reminded again and again that Jesus meets us with his grace. And Jesus pulls us through. And I need more of that. I need more of what John Dunn wrote, he was an English preacher, and he started an Easter sermon once with these words. He said, what sea could furnish my eyes with tears enough to pour out if I should think that of all this congregation which looks me in the face now, I should not meet one at the resurrection at the right hand of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ to save ourselves and our hearers. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me persevere in this. Help us continue to listen to you. And I pray most of all that in the midst of it all, in the, in the frailty and the weakness and in, in, in the limitations, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up that we would have our hearts turn to him week by week, his grace, his hope, his life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.